If you enjoyed these podcasts, check out Byron Reese's newest book. It's about artificial intelligence and covers all the topics addressed on Voices in AI. It's called The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity, and it's available now wherever fine books are sold. This is Voices in AI brought to you by GigaOM. I'm Byron Reese. Today, my guest is Didam Un Ates. She is a senior director of AI and partner engagement at Microsoft, where she's been for seven, several years. She holds two degrees from the University of Pennsylvania, one of which is in electrical engineering, as well as uh, an MBA from Columbia. Welcome to the show. Hi, Byron. Thanks for having me. So I always like to start with the same group of questions, which uh, always begins with, what is artificial intelligence? And why exactly is it artificial? What's artificial about it? And and what is intelligence, for that matter? <laughs> Thank you. So the way I try to explain it to my uh, customers, partners, and other individuals like um, students at schools, universities, or high schools is basically artificial intelligence is, is a way of um, mimicking our brain. So intelligence makes sense of things around us. It's how we process our environment, how we make sense of it, make these connections between the past and the future and the present. That's called general intelligence. Um, and then we also have specific intelligence, which is all, you know, very specific function like object recognition or speech recognition. So artificial is trying to mimic this with technology, with algorithms. Well, it's interesting you're saying the word mimic. So is that to imply it's not actual intelligence? It's just doing something that can yeah. emulate intelligence? Or do you actually Absolutely. think it's smart? Well, it's definitely smart, and it's in some cases the specific intelligence that I refer to, some call it weak AI, is actually already smarter than humans in in those areas. Like Microsoft actually was the first to um, surpass human intelligence in speech recognition, translation, object recognition, etc. So, yes, some of these Functional areas are already very smart and even smarter than humans, but it's the general AI uh, or the strong AI, as some like to call it, is is around five-year-old um, intelligence level. So that's why I call it mimic. And so when you say you think we're at – so a five-year-old for general intelligence, is that really the case? Because it seems to me – that we have this one trick that's been working pretty well for a while, uh, which is machine learning, where we take a bunch of data about the past and we study it mm-hmm. and we make projections into the future. And that seems to be a really um, not a very generalized tool. There are a lot of things where the future is not like the past. I mean, mm-hmm. the word, you know, banana is said the <laughs> yeah. same way tomorrow and yesterday. So it's a really good good uh, thing that you could do that. But things like creativity and those Mm -hmm. other sorts of things we associate with general intelligence, 
are they even solvable that way? Because when you say we're at like a five-year-old, that kind of means, you know, maybe next year we'll be at a six-year-old and a seven, and then in 15 or 20 years we'll be at a teenager. And then, I mean, or, or do we, is there a limit to our, our one little trick we know here and what it's going to be able to do? That's a great, I mean, these are great questions, and I think similar to you, Byron, I'm obsessively reading about AI and trying to get different perspectives from the experts, both, you know, at the universities, but also the industry. So, uh, to me, when I say, or when we read about, okay, the general intelligence is around the age of a five-year-old human being right now, all it means is as we improve the algorithms around AI and ML, um, we mimic the human learning, human uh, brain, and it is at the level of a five-year-old human being. It doesn't mean, it, I mean, some, of course, predict, actually, that general AI or are actually racing to reach an adult human uh, mind. Uh, so I first, I mean, it's my personal view, not Microsoft's view by far, but my personal view is, yes, AI, ML will reach adult um, intelligence, but when this will happen is a big question. So to your point about teenager years, um, you know, some predicted it will be happening in five years, others are saying it won't happen in a century. So the average, is, at least in my reading and research, it's somewhere around 15 to 25 years. I This is completely my own, um, let's say, home, doing my own homework. So this is quite serious because it has many implications in terms of the, let's say, automation or uh, impact on society, jobs, changes, exciting things coming up, and also lots of uh, implications that we should proactively manage as you know, implementers of responsible ethical AI, which we are, as Microsoft, very, very serious about. So Does that answer your question? I don't know. I don't know if... <laughs> if so bad, you, questions. Yeah, yeah, I don't know please. if you can say there's a group of people who think we're going to get it very quickly, and then there's a group of people who think, it, you know, Andrew Wing is like worrying about overpopulation on Mars, you know, centuries... Mm -hmm. And then to somehow average those, because people who think it's going to happen quickly are people who think intelligence is fundamentally very simple, and it's a mm -hmm. few tricks, and that we're going to figure it out and have it very quickly. But I think it boils down to a bigger question. Let me just put my bigger question to you, which is, do you believe that people are machines? That's a great question. I Yeah, I actually think today and in the history of human race, actually, yes, we have been machines, sadly. When I say machines, we have had to do some um, tasks that actually made no, us I, I agree robots. with that part. I agree with that part. Yeah. Using a, a person to dig a ditch or something. But I mean something even more fundamental. Do you believe anything happens in the human brain that can't mm -hmm. be explained by physics and electricity and chem chemistry? Like, is your yeah. brain a actual uh, piece of machinery that can be emulated or are you not a machine that maybe I, you have again my personal view is conscience cannot be replicated by machinery or let's say some call it spirit or whatever so that part is very different but other than that 
I personally think that, yes, our bodies are machines. So as long as we fix the problems with our bodies, we could actually live very long lives. And that holds true for the brain as well. So but that, that part of the brain, the part of the brain that, that is consciousness, that part of the brain that experiences the world, that mm-hmm. part of the brain which may be spiritual or, or what have you, yeah, that yeah. may be where our special intelligence comes from. That may be where we get all this stuff we're able to do that seemingly grasshoppers can't do. And maybe it comes from those things. And if it does come from those things, that means we'll never make it, right? Because if, yeah, if your brain yes, isn't I'm the machine... You. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're believing in consciousness and spirit and this overarching, let's say, universe, universal intelligence, I agree with you. Um, I think when we, uh, let's say, I actually studied electrical engineering as well, so I, I tend to think very, let's say, analytically. So when I refer to, yes, we can replicate the human body and brain, I'm referring to the mechanical parts, of course. So you do um, a lot of activism, and you're very passionate about certain topics in artificial intelligence. Can you talk a little bit about those, about what you do and, and you know, what the message you yeah. would like the listeners to hear? Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. So I am very, very passionate about technology and especially disruptive technologies. My whole career is about scaling disruptive technologies in a meaningful way so that people can live better through technology. I have been involved uh, actively in the AI space in the last three, four years. And you know, in parallel, actually, before AI as well, I have always been very passionate about diversity, inclusion, and STEM, like encouraging uh, females, minorities, and underrepresented groups to embrace technology. They could be dancers, they could be artists. It doesn't mean they have to study computer science or engineering, but embrace the technology to, to live better and to do whatever career or passion they uh, choose to pursue. So I have always been passionate about that. In the recent years, as I was saying, that last three, four years, as I work with AI, which is fascinating, I mean, there are so many things we could expand on there, I also started to feel very responsible uh, about the implementation, the scaling of this technology. So the most practical and impactful way um, has been to host hackathons and boot camps. And we started off with females because they obviously represent just 50% of the population worldwide, but it can be done with minorities and other groups. Um, that they are called Girls in AI boot camps and hackathons. We piloted a few in Europe as well as US, and they have been immensely helpful. So my message here is, As some of your uh, audience will know, the current uh, split of AI ML talent is only 12% female, and it's declining. This is a terrifying statistic. Why? For three reasons. First one, products are being developed by the majority for the majority, and however kind intentions they may have, the diverse perspectives needed for these complex solutions isn't there. So 88% is very dominant. The second reason uh, concern with this is data is biased. Again, data is heavily uh, male-oriented or majority-oriented, which, of course, is a big challenge in implementing AI solutions. The third uh, challenge 
is job automation impacting female jobs the worst. We see this. Uh, one very tangible example, I believe, is cashiers. So currently in the U.S., 73% of cashiers are women and 97% of cashiers are expected to lose their jobs to automation. So while AI and ML will bring many exciting jobs and make our jobs much more meaningful, they will also replace some jobs. So these replacements are going to hit the minorities uh, the hardest. So I feel very responsible to, to change this trend. And I would encourage all your listeners, all our audience, to think about how they can, as individuals or as organizations, actually try to help reverse this trend for everyone's benefit. And what are some, some suggestions along those lines that you have? Yeah, so there are, first of all, the easiest, free and super easy uh, thing to do is share some reliable AI and ML learning resources. This, these can be simple ebooks. Microsoft has plenty of these, or they could be online learning courses, like I'm pursuing a degree in AI on edX, Microsoft Professional Degree for AI, which is free of charge. Or it could be AI Lab. We have Microsoft Business School, AI Business School, Microsoft AI Lab, where you can just free of charge go there, train yourself as a student, as a business leader, or a technical talent. The second thing, in addition to upskilling ourselves and our environment for sharing these resources, is getting hands-on experience with boot camps and hackathons. This is the way technology works. We have to get our hands dirty. In other words, you could come up with a project. It could be a personal passion. It could be a disability that you want to actually fix. For instance, example, um, one of our uh, blind engineers in the UK came up with an app called Seeing AI, which allows blind people as well as um, seeing disability, people with seeing disabilities like old people, help see their environment. So this is a fantastic example of how we can get our hands dirty and implement uh, AI in any, any shape or form. I think the third thing is is actually educating the next generation because whatever school they are going to, whatever fantastic education they may uh, follow, uh, I, I'm afraid the education system isn't up to date to include uh, the, the upcoming changes because no one knows what the jobs will be in five, ten years. So whatever our kids are studying actually will be irrelevant in a way in terms of jobs and careers. So that's another area that I would recommend uh, experts to focus on and, you know, you, you know, public. You made the comment that AI is going to disproportionately affect women-dominated jobs, and I'm just trying to think that through. Is that really the case? Because when you, when you stop and think about it, you know, the number one job you hear about being automated is a truck driver, and those are virtually all men. And then taxi cab mm -hmm. drivers, that's male-dominated. Then delivery drivers are predominantly men. Um, mm -hmm. is, has that been studied, the, the, the gender uh, yeah, makeup yeah, of... I, I can definitely uh, share a few studies. The uh, statistic that I got uh, about cashiers, for example, came from a Wired and Element AI study. And I'm with you. I mean, it doesn't... Uh, 
it's not that important whether the top, uh, let's say, the jobs that are at highest risk of automation will hit the females or minorities worse. But one of the disadvantages, one of the, let's say, impacts of the technologies, as I said, there's data bias, there's product uh, development challenge, and then uh, job automation. So I didn't mention the top jobs at risk will, will be female jobs. What I'm mentioning is there are some specific sectors that are heavily female. And unfortunately, it looks like those will be impacted quite heavily. So what I'm saying is females or minorities will be even more marginalized than the past if we don't act uh, and reverse this trend. Fair enough. Now, Mark Cuban, I read an interview with him, and he said the first trillionaires are going to be from AI. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I believe that. You know, you're talking about a, a technology that allows you to impact everybody in a major way. And that's probably true. And then he – so so that's, that's a person who, you know, really kind of gets it. And then I saw another interview where he said if, if he were coming up today as a student, he wouldn't – study STEM, he would major in philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I wonder mm-hmm. what you think about that. I mean, not, not I keep love saying it. that, but, but what, what he says is, you know, you, you've got to understand the world and all of these other mm-hmm. things, and that if mm-hmm. we just corral everybody into STEM, I don't know that we're serving the future well. What do you, what do you think? I, I love it. So to me, when I mean, I, you know, as, a, as part of my social impact and charity work, I do work hard to encourage minorities to embrace STEM and so on. But to, in my mind, actually, in a few years, in a very short-term future, we won't need, you know, let's say coding skills. All of that will be very easily done for us. It will be simplified, let's say, unless you really want to dig very deep and do your PhD and just do other stuff. So in philosophy, ethics, um, these will be very, very important areas to go deep on. I completely agree. Having said that, when, I mean, forget even the majority of the society worldwide. When I have my conversations with my customers and partners, who are in technology space, it does become quickly apparent that we, including myself, aren't as well uh, educated, trained about AI, ML, these technologies as I think we should be. Uh, Why? Because look at all these scandals with, let's say, privacy and uh, user engagement on, let's say, social media companies. All these things stem from the fact that even the players in this sector are not uh, well equipped to manage the risks, right? I mean, there are so many cases I don't need to go into the detail, but uh, to me, STEM has to be the baseline or embracing the technology, let's say. You don't have to study, you know, science or computer science, but embracing the technology as a given, uh, just like food and water, basically. And on top of that, going deep on philosophy or ethics or how do you scale this, these technologies responsible is absolutely critical. Well, um, it seems we're coming up on time here. We could talk for a long time. I applaud you for the work <laughs> you're doing. If people want to keep up with you and, and all the, the things you're doing in the world, what are some of the ways to do that? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, in terms of diversity, inclusion, STEM, you know, or encouraging uh, anybody to helping anybody in terms of embracing disruptive technologies, you know, it's these days AI, ML, but who knows what it will be in the next years. Could be autonomous systems. I'm always available on LinkedIn, Twitter. I'm very, very happy to help mentor, coach people around this. It's a passion of mine. Uh, if it's a business inquiry, obviously uh, they should specify that, and I'm I'm very happy to help in any way I can. That's my job. Well, you are a fascinating person, and for people who want to keep up with you, like follow you on social media, how do they do that? Thank you so much, Byron. I'm uh, almost everywhere, so my Twitter handle is D-I-D-E-M underscore U-N underscore A-T-E-S, and I'm uh, at LinkedIn as D-Dam Un Atesh. Thank you so much. Well, we'll link to those as well. Thank you for being on the show, and we'd love to have you back. Thank you. If you enjoy this Voices in AI podcast, consider subscribing to the new Deep Dive into AI monthly report authored by Byron Reese. Each report offers exhaustive analysis of a key issue in AI. This is designed to guide and inform enterprise decision makers interested in, planning for, or already investing in AI. Visit gigaohm.com slash deep dive to try it for free.